Today we're going to be considering the Lord's truths from the book of Luke chapter 5 beginning in verse 27. But before we begin there, I'd like for us to consider a question. When Jesus used the word righteous as he spoke about the souls of the people around him, what did he mean? And as he walked among the men and the women of his day, could he find any of them to be righteous? And even now, in our day, can it be said that Jesus could find righteous men and women among the souls of this generation? Listen as Jesus addressed this question as he chose one of his blessed disciples, Matthew. Here beginning in verse 27 of Luke chapter 5, we're told, After these things, he, this is the Lord Jesus, after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he left all. He rose up and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now within these precious words, we're able to see one of the distinctive attributes of the heart of God being revealed. And folks, we must always be very careful and attentive as we read His words, or else we'll miss out on the meaning that Jesus intends for us. Now here, just after having healed this man who was paralyzed, you'll recall his friends had let him down through a hole in the roof so that Jesus could heal him. So just after having healed this man, Jesus stepped out into the street. And there he encountered a tax collector sitting there in his booth. And with no apparent previous knowledge about this man, without any prelude of conversation, Jesus simply exercised the amazing and sovereign will that only the Almighty God himself can exercise. Grace. With simple words, he called this man Matthew into the eternal kingdom of God. And not only did he call him into his kingdom, but he also called him to be one of his intimate disciples. Folks, there's nothing recorded in these gospels to indicate that there was anything special about this man Matthew that prompted Jesus to choose him. No good or righteous thing in the person of Matthew that caused Jesus to desire to make him one of his disciples. And neither is it said as so many of our other brethren in the other denominations believe that God somehow looked down through the corridors of time and he saw that Matthew would at some point turn from his sinful ways and choose Christ to be his Savior. None of that is mentioned here and it's not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. No, this is simply the way of God's amazing grace. 
He makes sovereign choices, irrespective of who we are and the things that we might have done. And praise be to God that he does that. This is an example of God working out the mysterious truths that are expressed in Ephesians chapter 1, where we're told there that God actually made these choices even before the foundations of the earth were laid. And this was simply the irresistible grace of God at work in this special moment as the Holy Spirit then applied Jesus' call with sovereign and divine power. Now as for this man, Matthew himself, here called by his Hebrew name, Levi, and then also called in other places in these Gospels by his Greek name, Matthew, thanks be to God... His response, Matthew's response to this sovereign call was not left up to him alone. God is full of grace and mercy. And he also gave Matthew the sovereign gift of knowing how he must respond at that moment. We're told here, so Matthew left all, he rose up, and he followed Jesus. How do we know all of these things that I'm saying about God and about his calling and about Matthew's response to be true? We know that it is all of God and nothing of ourselves or Matthew because of those scripture truths that we've been studying over these past several weeks. I'd like to remind you of some of those verses. In verse 44 of John chapter 6, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me except the Father who sent me draws him. Now note carefully that Jesus used the word can. He is clearly saying that no one of their own ability and strength is able to come to him. That ability and that strength comes only from God the Father. And then also in verse 63 of John chapter 6, Jesus tells us that it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. And then also in verse 65 of that same chapter... Jesus said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And then also in Romans chapter 9, verse 16, we're told, It does not therefore depend upon man's desire or his effort, but on God's mercy. Matthew had no desire at that moment to get up out of his tax booth and follow Jesus until Jesus spoke to him. Matthew's response to immediately get up and to leave all that he'd worked for all of his life and to follow this strange young man, Jesus, was in every way, folks, was in every way because of the sovereign working of God's Holy Spirit. Again, those words in verse 63 of John 6 where Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, Matthew's flesh, your and my flesh, is of no help at all. Now, yes, Matthew's free will was at work in this whole transaction. But according to these scripture truths, his will was being prompted by God's Holy Spirit. And now Matthew wanted, suddenly wanted to forsake everything that he was doing and then to follow Jesus. And while it's not said here, it's implied that Matthew now realized that he was one of those that Jesus had just called the sick, and a sinner in need of repentance. Listen to these words, verse 31. 
Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It seems that by the unction of the Holy Spirit, Matthew was immediately able to recognize that this was him. He was that sick and wretched sinner that needed a Savior. We aren't told why. But it's obvious from these words that those scribes and Pharisees were not given that same gift of grace at that moment. They might have been later on. But at this moment, they were not given that same gift of grace. They didn't know that they also were sick sinners in need of a Savior. They thought themselves to be righteous. Folks, within these words, there's a contrast that's being given. A contrast that's present within most every group of people. Some people within a group are humbled by the Holy Spirit. And they can hear that still, small voice of God. And they know that they truly are sinners in need of a Savior. But then there are others within that same group. They'll believe themselves to be righteous. From the human side of the equation, why would that be so? Why is there such diverse thinking on the part of people? One thinking that they are in need of a Savior. The others thinking, no, I'm righteous. One of the reasons has to do with that word, our understanding of the meaning of that word righteous. Verse 32 again, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' use of this word righteous, as he spoke to these scribes and Pharisees, is mysterious in that he knew well from the long-standing truths that he himself actually had spoken into these scriptures, especially in the words of King David in Psalm 14 and also in Psalm 53, where there we're told that there is none righteous, no, not one. Not one person that walks this earth is righteous. Not even one. But here Jesus was making an important point to these scribes and these Pharisees who mistakenly thought that their observance of the law and their doing of good works made them righteous. But it did not. It did not. And it does not for any of us. Just doing, listen, just doing good and righteous things does not make a person righteous. Let me say that again. Just doing good and righteous things does not make a person righteous. Our Catholic brethren are confused in their doctrine about this matter of righteousness. Their doctrines declare that they have an inherent righteousness abiding within their souls. A righteousness that is their own. It's put there by some ceremonial act done by a priest as they are christened or baptized in their earliest days of life. But we know those beliefs to be misguided and false because of words all through these scriptures, but especially in Romans chapter 4, where God, speaking about the faith of Abraham, said that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. That word credited is also translated as imputed, imputed, meaning that the righteousness that Abraham had was put into him, imputed into him 
as a free gift imputed into him by God's Holy Spirit. And even then, it was not Abraham's own inherent righteousness, but rather it would always be the righteousness of Christ who came to live within his soul. Let me say that again. We need to know with a certainty that Abraham's righteousness would never be his own personal righteousness. We need to know that for ourselves. He didn't gain that righteousness because of some special work or behavior on his part. And neither will ours. Neither will ours. It will ever and always be the righteousness of Christ that dwells within us. And praise be to God for that. And even further, we don't have to work to maintain our righteousness. We could not even if we tried. Our responsibility is to instead maintain our personal relationship with the person of Christ. And with that, then His righteousness will remain within us for now and for always throughout all of eternity. And again, praise be to God for that. We cannot maintain our righteousness of our own effort. Our need is to maintain our personal relationship with the person of Christ. And do you do that? Do you do that? Every moment of every day, we must. And all of this was going to be so for this man, Matthew, as Jesus then called him into service within his kingdom. And it's a wonderful occasion to observe. I believe that Matthew's call into the ministry was as simple as it seems. It was an odd choice. Matthew was an odd choice because he was a tax collector. Someone that was not at all well liked by his neighbors. He made his living and sometimes great fortunes from collecting tax money from his own people and then giving it to the Romans. Also, the Romans allowed the tax collectors to keep a percentage of the collection as their fee. And sometimes, perhaps too often, the tax collectors would overcharge the people and then keep the extra for themselves. That was suggested in the confession of another tax collector, Zacchaeus, when he said, If I have defrauded anyone, I will pay back fourfold. And it was because of those kinds of behaviors on the part of the tax collectors that they were a stench in the nostrils of their own people, the Israelites. And again, observing this whole transaction take place were the scribes and the Pharisees, men who had devoted their lives to being and doing those things which they had determined to be righteous deeds. That was so important to the scribes and Pharisees. And again, their theology and their doctrinal beliefs gave them the very sincere but very misguided understanding that if they followed the demands of the law and they showed acts of kindness towards other people, then their behavior would be accounted to them as righteousness. And folks, that kind of system of belief did seem, at least on the surface, to be what the book of the law suggested. And because of that, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were very sincere and they were very diligent in their following of those kinds of rituals. They tithed on every penny. They gave alms to the poor and they fasted at all the proper times. And by doing those things, 
the scribes and the Pharisees looked very righteous. Just like so many of us good churchgoers look so very righteous to other people who don't know us very well. But folks, there's a serious flaw in that kind of religious belief. The doing of good things, whether for God or for other people, does not, and it cannot in itself, make a person righteous. And yes, such things as those, they truly are good and righteous things to do. And God does require them of you and me. He tells us all about that in Matthew chapter 25. He says, that which you do for the least of these, my brethren, you're doing it for me. And we think perhaps that will be accounted to us as righteousness. But folks, unless another step in that process is taken first, all of the things that come afterward are of no value, and they're not accounted unto a person as righteousness. That step in becoming righteous is an intimate, personal relationship with the person of Christ, brought about by His shed blood there on the cross. How do we know that is so? God Himself has made that especially clear to us from the very first moments that He gave the book of the law. And then continuing on to this day, Jesus quoting those words from the book of the law made it clear to us when He was asked, what is the greatest of all the commandments? Without hesitation, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 6. He said, the first of all the commandments is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, why do I find need to quote these particular words within this study about Jesus choosing Matthew to be one of his disciples, and also the response of the scribes and Pharisees to his choice of this sinner, this tax collector. It's because this command to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is essential to the righteousness that the scribes and the Pharisees were so clearly and wrongly misunderstanding. And why would that be so? What stood in the way of their understanding the command to love the Lord their God. The problem is that spiritual understanding of what you read in these scriptures can only be discerned by the Holy Spirit who lives within a person. That is ever and always true. In any given church right now, there are many people sitting in the pews looking at those scriptures and not understanding them well at all. And it's because of this. To be able to discern God's truth, the Holy Spirit has to do that within our hearts and our minds. And while the scribes and the Pharisees were well-schooled in the academic meaning of the Scriptures, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living within them to interpret the words to their minds. And it made those learned men helpless to understand. And God is unyielding in those requirements. We must... You and I must love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. And it's then and only then that He'll be gracious and He'll give us the righteousness that He requires of us. 
That's a strange statement, isn't it? But the righteousness that he requires of us, he has to give it to us. Now, as we look at the words of this passage, at this particular moment in the scriptures, neither Matthew nor the scribes and Pharisees had the Holy Spirit dwelling within them to give them spiritual discernment. So then what made the difference? What was the reason that prompted Jesus to choose Matthew over someone else, perhaps one of those scribes and Pharisees that might have been standing right there near him? The simplest answer, folks, is God does not tell us why. And it will remain a mystery, just like it will remain a mystery as to why God chose you or that He chose me. Wretched sinners to be His children. But He did, and we are so very glad that He did. And it's because, though, God is sovereign. And He makes sovereign choices, choices that we don't understand. And every choice He makes is a good one. As I said a moment ago, I'm personally comfortable believing that Matthew's name was written in the Lamb's book of life and that he was chosen for this special calling long before the foundations of the earth were laid. Scripture tells us so. And this was simply the irresistible grace of God at work in this special moment as the Holy Spirit applied Jesus' call with sovereign and divine power and suddenly Matthew changed. Now as for Matthew, it would seem that in those moments as Jesus spoke to him, something inside of Matthew was changed by the Holy Spirit and he suddenly understood that he was a terminally sick sinner in need of this great physician, the Lord Jesus, to save him. Listen to how Jesus words this. Those who are well have no need of a physician but it's those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In His new humble condition, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. As I read in Matthew chapter 11, when Jesus calls a person, the Holy Spirit steps in and humbles them. And in His new humble condition, Matthew was able to hear that still small voice of God calling to him. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they could not. It is only the ears of the repentant sinner that can hear God's still small voice call. The more righteous that a person believes himself or herself to be, the less likely he or she will be able to hear the voice of God. What then should this message be for you and for me here and now in our day and in our personal experience with God? The message is that you and I must guard ourselves carefully against the same kind of errors in thinking that these scribes and the Pharisees suffered from. You and I must not allow ourselves to believe that just because we have sat in pews in this church or other churches for so many years, just because we attend church, just because we go to those special meetings, just because we always try to be a good person, that does not make us personally righteous. We must continually remind ourselves that true righteousness comes only through a relationship with Christ that's brought about by His shed blood on the cross and no other way, no other way. 
Let me read some words that I've gleaned from one of my Bible dictionaries regarding this word righteousness. And we'll close with these words. Listen. Righteousness is that which God requires of humanity and which God gives as a gift to a person through faith. In this line of thought, faith is the condition for the reception of the gift of righteousness from God. God acts in Christ, and in turn, humans react by having faith. Then God reckons them on the basis of their faith, as he did with Abraham. God reckons them on the basis of their faith, as if they were righteous. This is true righteousness, the kind that is in Christ and that we receive only through a deep faith and love for the person of the Lord Jesus. All other righteousness is counterfeit. Let's pray.